Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Michael Hamflet to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we preview and review Dynamite, Collision, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events, wrestler interviews on occasion. We have roundtable discussions and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Hamflet, overall thoughts before we dive in? Really enjoyed it, uh, but I was surprised with what I liked as much as I was surprised with what I disliked. There were just things that I wasn't expecting to be as high on as I was, and there was things I was very pumped for that let me down. So for all the fact, like for all the fact, I enjoyed the show. It wasn't in the ways I necessarily expected. Yeah, same here. I looked at the Twitter consensus, as I often do, in between writing um, ups and downs, which you can read on whatculture.com slash WWE. And I felt like I was the low guy on this one, even though I really enjoyed a lot of it. Um, it was more of a vibes show mm-hmm. than a true quality show. There was some really loose details that I was cross with because I expect the very best from this company, and there are certain bad habits that just will not go away, and I'll get into those um, at some point. But the show started with the Guns defeating the Hardys with the um, help of Jay White and Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson's face, again, was absolutely (laughs) tremendous. Um, The match was tighter, shorter, better and more heated than the double or nothing pre-show six man of which these two teams were a part it only went seven minutes it was structurally every tag match you've ever seen um shine cut off heat distraction finish um the guns you know the timing's better the good slapstick bumpers they jumped and bumped around the place to make the Hardys seem like it's not 1999, but 2017. It yeah. was a more respectable performance from the Hardys than we've seen in their AEW run, which quite frankly has been disastrous thus far and possibly difficult to not do anything worse within seven minutes. Uh, look, I'm not a Hardys guy. This crowd were really into this for how long it lasted, so I have to put it over, and, you know, over is over. Um, I personally cannot stand the sight of pop-hungry carny Matt Hardy <laughs> dislocating his elbow just to get a Dilly chant going. It yeah. just... There's certain things in wrestling that just give you the ick, mm. and that just make you just recoil a little bit, and 
the desperation with which he moves his arm about to get those delete <laughs> chants going is one of them. It's like, this is a man desperate, desperate for TV time. And um, look on this evidence, maybe he deserves it because he's so much more over with everybody else and the Hardys are so much more over with everybody else than me. Um, brief thoughts on the match. I gather they'll be brief before we get to the post-match. Very much so. Um, short can often be a compliment on a for a match. Mercifully short. But mercifully short, less so. Look, I realised during this that I would rather watch a silent Raw match with wrestlers I like than a loud one with wrestlers I don't. That was what hit me here. Like, we are very, very critical of these Raw crowds. And let's say 50% of Gunther versus Kevin Owens sticks out as a recent crime against the wrestlers, truthfully. Yeah. I'd take the silent half of the Gunther-Kevin Owens match than the loud all of this. I felt not a thing for the work as it was happening, despite the noise. The the Hardys are never going to get me back. And I I think it's going to be a while before the guns get me there. I can admire from a distance, objectively, what they're trying to achieve as these characters. But already I've got like a real sinking feeling about the vibe of Bullet Club Gold. Like I think Juice is going to thrive in spite of it as the clown of the group. And I think Jay White is going to remain the biggest star of it. I'm not excited for these beatdowns and the prospective matches. And, you know, we'll get to that a little bit in a second. I just don't have a good feeling about any of it. I think they're a boring version of an exciting idea. Yeah, I didn't have a good feeling about the post-match. Um, so basically, because they interfere, Juice and Jay White, they proceed to beat down um, the Hardys. Mm. This summons Ricky Starks, and then FTR, and then CM Punk. And then in the midst of this, because we know CM Punk and Matt Hardy particularly, and Jeff Hardy, for that matter, just do not get along, will not coexist, will not work together. The Hardys, like the the point of this completely disappeared yeah. within itself halfway through, and then it becomes this four-on-four um, fight that Juice, Nar- uh, Juice Robinson narrowly escapes. CM Punk grabs a mic, says, I'm a collision guy. Not even supposed to be here, guys. You know why. It's all about the, the those elite guys. Um, onto a different match that no one wants as much. <laughs> Let's have an eight-man target collision then. Come on. Um, and I'm thinking, that's a diminished return from something that was already underwhelming and I'd seen enough of when it finished. Yeah. So I'm not hot on this um, second collision main event in this angle again. That line just felt so unnecessary. It was yet another reminder from Punk of who he really hates, why he's really here or not there or whatever. And then he acted fired up to sell this sort of bubbling feud with Bullet Club Gold. But I just do not believe it, nor am I excited about it. I find CM Punk just a totally magnetic presence. Um, it's We've talked about this before, haven't we? Like the... You've got a, I forget how you describe it, but you've described your relationship with the elite in a certain way in terms of... Parasocial. Like, no, you've been, <laughs> you've been justifiably kinder to yourself when it comes to, I don't know, not specifically the melodrama, but like in terms of the saga booking of the elite is something that you hold dear as a fan. And it makes you feel things even in the face of, which I agree with you, by the way, an obvious criticism of the fact that like this collision matches of a relatively low concern yeah. to CM Punk, the character, and indeed Phil Brooks, the man. Um, this, but him being around just ups my enthusiasm beyond pretty much anything else on this show. I, I am just wrapped by his charisma and his presence and how glad I am that he's back, not just on television, but in wrestling, in the conversation. Like, I love all of this, 
anyway, but I love it 10 times more when CM Punk's around for it. So straight away, my engagement in this Dynamite is substantially higher in the hours building up to the show because there's rumours that he's backstage and he's going to be on the card. Great. Like, I'm with you 100% on the, like, as I was with the Collision review, which you can still check out, and I was quite pleased and proud of our discussion on how it didn't, I think there was a reason why, there was many reasons why that main event on Collision was flawed, and Punk's lack of acknowledging it was one of them, and the real the real quiz is the elite. The second real quiz is MJF. The fake quiz is Bullet Club Gold. And he's kind of asking you to watch, tune in for the fake quiz. And I don't think it's going to work long term as a strategy. Like, but I love watching him talk about it anyway because I'll watch him read the phone book. Cliche as that sounds, he's that guy. Like, he's such an incredible public speaker, I think. And uh, oh, he's unbelievable. Like, and as an orator, like as you say, it's almost like he has to flip a little switch and get back into the thing that he's. Like, that's the bit that he's got to do for the job right now with the elite stuff is because it keeps all that stuff. I still, I'm 100% certain that this is, there's a long game being played and it's a really intoxicating one. But the right now is this Bullet Club Gold Jay White program that just feels like a way to fill time and a way to get his reps in and be on collision, be a figure. Like, this Canada tour increasingly feels like it'll be the, like, well, Joe in the tournament, Jay White is the, the longest story. Joe's going to be really fun on evidence of the, the tag match on Collision. And Jay White is going to be interesting because it's like a clash of ages between CM Punk and Jay White. But are either going to carry the emotional heft of the things you really want to be talking about? I don't think so. Everybody's already really excited about the prospect of... Like the Tanash thing didn't happen, but that's rooted in people's excitement over Punk and MJF. Yeah. The, um, you know, the prospect of him working with Kenny Omega or Hangman Page if bridges have been built, like... Uh, what everybody wants to speak when he says the things like the collision line. And I love that that's out there, but none of that's for now, is it? No. And that's just going to be a really tricky balance to strike. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not convinced they can do that because the money stuff is just too big money. It's just, it's just too big a thing. It's the most awesome hand they've got. If it is, if it is indeed even a hand they can play, it's the biggest one they've got. And this is not big. And this is not it. Yeah. Gold. Like not uh, collisions number was like really impressive, but this feud doesn't bring him back i don't think yeah punk star power goes a long long way but it won't go all the way to like six weeks of this sort of stuff i don't personally believe and i love the guy you know i like devotee and i still think i'll tune in for you regardless but i wouldn't pick this yeah so after a break we cut to a can't fail match that didn't fail and that was one of the nicer things I can say about it. Look, I had fun with the concession stand brawl between Mark Briscoe and Jeff Jarrett, but I watched it with the nagging feeling that this has to be it. And then a curious note, apparently there was some kind of hiccup where Jeff Jarrett said that if he lost, this would be the last you've seen of him. Apparently, um, I can't remember who reported this. I'm very sorry. Um, I was up early um, writing and taking notes and all the rest of it. Um, but apparently that was not meant to make air and turned out they'd scrapped that idea. This was not mentioned on commentary that it was going to be the last we saw of Jeff Jarrett in the event that he lost. But what was weird is that this absolutely felt like a send-off for a heel disturber who's tried to carny his way into AEW. He's made so many enemies that they all came out to just send him on his way. Yeah, this felt like a send-off. And it kind of wasn't, apparently, so I don't know what's going on. Um, But ultimately, it starts in the concession stand. They rip up the bags of popcorn, throw it in each other's eyes, squirt some mustard, have a fight. Um, And then the first floor of a match that I thought was 
oh, that's nice, without being like really wildly entertained as I have throughout this Jeff Jarrett run, um, is a secret um, costumed Karen Jarrett comes out and sprays mustard in Mark Briscoe's eyes. I would have done this when it really felt like he was on his way to winning. So it would have felt like, oh, not you, Karen Jarrett, not now. It happened immediately, and someone helped him wash the mustard out of his eyes. And the next thing you know, he's climbing a ladder, and then he gets pushed off by Sanjay Dutt. He takes this insane, what, eight-foot drop onto a table, and it's just so rushed. Like, even by the standards of Planet Jarrett and Jarrett's world, and it is his world, Mm -hmm. overbooking, this, they at least always know how to pace it to perfection so that these carny tropes you see every week in AEW that you've seen every day of your wrestling fandom life feel like nasty transgressions from heels all yeah. over again. I didn't get that sensation from this match. I thought it was rushed in the extreme. So the general story, you've probably seen it, if you haven't, is that Jarrett's cronies are hiding and they reveal themselves throughout this match to give Jarrett the advantage. Then, and again, this seems to cap off the story, but they didn't say it had ended. Jarrett's run has not ended. Um, Virtually everyone, or a lot of people that Jarrett has wronged, slash people who Mark Briscoe likes and has teamed with, like the Lucha Bros, um, the best friends have had a thing with Planet Jarrett and everything before. Loads of them come out, equalize the odds, Briscoe rules up Jarrett for the win. Felt like a send-off wasn't a send-off. Felt rushed. Like, there's a way to elegantly pace and get the most out of cheap devices. And for me, I went, huh, for a lot of this. It was quite fun. Again, this felt like it should be the end when I was watching this. I could not get past that feeling. You've maybe articulated for me why I hated the finish as much as I did. Because there being a bit of a... Um, bit of cognitive dissonance between what we were watching and what we were basically hearing and being told by the announcers. Just it completely impacted my enjoyment. Like I was riding a high. Um, I was riding a summer 2021 high because it occurred to me the only thing better than CM Punk's music feeding into Adam Cole's was Here CM Punk's feeding into a Jeff Jarrett match. I am not being sarcastic. Like Punk, when I knew Jeff Jarrett was next, was like, well. That's my version of that thing that gets shared all the time now, of you waiting for Brian and Kenny to lock up. I'm in wrestling Nirvana. Punk's out. He's talking shit to some wrestlers that I don't like as much as I like him. And then Jeff Jarrett's wrestling next. Thanks, Tony Khan. Thank you for giving me my show. And I don't even mean 2019 black and gold because you're giving me plenty of that as well. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is what I want. Um, and then the brawl started off and I thought it was really funny. I loved <laughs> Sanjay Dutt revealed an AEW t-shirt like it was a transgression you know when he took it on yeah it's me like i thought that, when you know it's going to be him because karen jarrett's done her bit yeah you're right as well the jarrett the karen jarrett blinding spot was there dynamite rolls on bit wasn't it yeah like, he does that and then it's like anyway here comes a bit of picture in picture and then there was that the woman with the bottle of water who was like apparently also a concession stand worker earlier on today i was talking with her and she turned out to be karen bloody jarrett like i love that that can make sense in this world only so i was really enjoying the nonsense and then, yeah, the, the finish was booked as if it was this conclusive chase the heel out of town. The snake oil salesman has finally been caught out, and the townspeople are going to rally together to and see him The monorail him off. guy. Yeah, to see him off. What's he called again? Is it Lyle? 
Landley, Landley yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've booked territories in WWE, TNA, yeah, and I've never drawn a dime. And it's Force Wrestling that really put them on the map. It's just a map with the bars of gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cody Rhodes holding that like next chain title, yeah. whatever it was. Um, I I adore him for all of these things. And then the finish, I was kind of raging because, like, I if this was a send off, which now clearly it wasn't. If this was a write off of this whole shtick, then like they've nailed it. Satnam Singh has been felled. Like Darby Allen couldn't do it with his bullet out of a gun dive, but these gaggle of dweebs did it. Best friends got him off his feet. You hate the best friends. I hate the best friends, but like all biases aside, right? Honestly, it'd be like well done being the one to take the Undertaker out instead of Yokozuna's ten heels. Like I, I'm not being funny. Like Satnam Singh goes down for nobody. Yeah, and like best friends come out in their scabby little track suits and just take him out. So like, what are we doing here? Like, I, like <laughs> Papa Briscoe. Like it was proper. It's Indy Hartwell. Jay Lethal. Papa Briscoe's there. Like. Jay Lethal's a... That's Papa Briscoe. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God, it's Papa Briscoe. Like, so, like, it had to be that cartoonish if you're going to write all this off, but then you're not. So it's, it's so odd. I, ju- I found the finish like a real wet fart of a thing that I'd otherwise quite enjoyed. And I do wonder if this was not just a match too many for this program, which I did say as well. I thought that Double or Nothing was a perfect payoff. And then at a push, an absolute push, the Aubrey match was like quite a cute epilogue that drew. So, you know, was this just a match too far for this dynamite? Because the rush nature of it probably wasn't helped by the fact there was so much to get to. It was just, I could not reconcile the fact that they'd abandoned the step and did it at the same time. Yes. It was just so weird. No it singular breathe so either. Starting without the music was a crime in and of itself. Yeah. So, without the music. And um, we get a backstage segment with the Blackpool Combat Club, Don Callis and Kanosuke to catch there. Smash a button. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Challenges uh, the elite to a five on five. Um, nice little bit of a heel detail of those three of you because Kenny's occupied with Will Ospreay. They find uh, two more later in the night, which we'll get to. Um, so it's going to be Shota Um uh, Umino, mm-hmm. um, being the fifth man for this sort of like horrible Oof. inbreeding of different kinds of like evil. Like I really was into this. Um, they said that they don't believe Carter's even in the building. <laughs> um, later on, when Danielson takes the mic to sort of promote his sort of calling out of Carter, later calls him an amateur and a coward, and we'll come back to this later. Takeshita is tall, dark, and sexy. Yeah, <laughs> right there. Moxley was incredible here, and yet I died inside because now he's affiliated with Don Callis. The visual of that was I, I compared it to like a horror movie that actually sticks with you when you go to bed. Because I will think about that. Like Hereditary. Have you ever yeah. seen oh, Hereditary? God, yeah. Oh, my God. I thought it was like... That's the scariest and most unsettling horror film I've ever seen. And I don't care how basic bitch that sounds. Well, I like horror, but I'm getting softer in my old age, so I watched less of them. Um, but Hereditary got me, both at the visceral way a Fewer. good horror is supposed to, and the jump scares good. So yeah. there's a jump scare in that that's like all-time goaded cooking. So like, I can't watch another horror now for... Another, like, I watched it about a year ago, Hereditary. No, it was longer ago. It was lockdown, maybe. I watched it in lockdown. Bad call. And yeah. I can't think if I've watched another one since because I need to leave much bigger gaps between my horror movie viewing. Kids think that. Kids See, Midsummer, same director. Yeah. I liked Midsummer. Preferred Hereditary. Yeah, same. Midsummer's good because it. I think it's quite bold to have so much of it take place in broad daylight. Yes. You don't get that in a lot of horrors because of the uh, traditional values of mise-en-scene that the genre requires. Indeed. The Charoscuro of the uh, genre. But um, Midsommar plays with that, and I appreciate that. This was good. 
but sad. Like Moxley's in the muck now, and I, I, I love and I hate that. He is in the muck, but there was a glimpse later on of him kind of knowing he is, yeah, and not being particularly at his sort of core okay with it. Mm. But we'll get to that. That was a wonderful little moment later on. Um, get another just really fun trios match. Um, Dynamite is incapable. AEW is incapable of not making them always, at the very least, fun or purposeful. Um, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki. The Suzuki gods? Yeah. That's um torturous wordplay, but we'll go with it. Um, beat Action Andretti, Darius Martin, and AR Fox. Um, it's a bit of a note before the break. And then there's a bit more of now during the break because it's the break. And then it just comes to life later mm. with loads of like ridiculous bang, 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 bang set pieces. Um, I'm going to be a Chris Jericho mark again. And then in a month, I'll resent it. <laughs> then in a month after that, I'll be a mark again. He gets accused, not inaccurately, of being a cloud vampire who will pick someone hot, work with them, mm. pick the next person who's hot, after he's cooled down, the last person, it was hot. I get it. I feel like it's um, a bit reductive. I feel like it's not entirely accurate. I feel like there should be more onus on the wrestlers he's feuded with and put over to do something themselves afterwards. Genuinely, I do feel like this is the case, Ricky Starks. Um, what he did with Darius Martin here, I was really impressed by. Yeah. He didn't, like, Darius hot, uh, Martin isn't particularly hot. He's a sporadic member of the recurring cast with Promise. There's a lot of wrestlers of that ilk. And Jericho, kind of in a match within a match, took him really seriously. You know what Jericho's low-key cooking go to that? Mm. Carter and Roman and Kenny get an angle historically are the best 2.9 kick-out guys. Mm. Jericho's bang up there. Yeah, like Jericho knows how to time those things brilliantly, and he did it with them. Darius here, I thought was fantastic. Um, get another great spot. Um, I just love Suzuki's face. Of course I do. And there's one bit where he catches Andretti in his sleeper. Yeah. After he does a backflip, that was great. Darius Martin hits Suzuki at one point. I just love Suzuki's face and how he just shifts his expressions. The first facial expression was, wait a minute, did I just get hit there? Mm. As if he cannot comprehend that anyone would be stupid enough to do that to him. And then when he does realize that someone's hit him, he has that sick look on his face as if to convey, oh, now I get to hit you back and tell you why that was such a stupid idea. Forearm, absolutely brilliant. Um, it's not a no-sell, that, isn't it? It's really unique. Yeah. He is selling the impact of the fact that he has been struck as if to say, you strike me, you must be pretty hard and you must be pretty brave, but I'm going to make you suffer for it. It's not a burial, but in the wrong hands it would be. Like The Undertaker would... Kill that spot. Of course you would. Oh, dumbass, taking on a dead man. Like, you stupid asshole. <laughs> you dumb asshole. Now it's push. Shame if someone took it from you for throwing some soup bones at the dead man. Uh, <laughs> but like Suzuki, there's almost this moment. We'll find like, a way to do a Southern American accent. Yeah. Like, it does it. It, it puts over bravery plus... Trying to take my guns. <laughs> I'll kill you. You have my respect, kid, but do you have a knife? <laughs> You don't get no knives. Protect you don't get no push. <laughs> Got to protect yourself in this business. Back in the bars after the matches, there's going to be men who want to fight you. They certainly want to fight the dead man. I would just leave early. <laughs> nice try, bar. Uh, but I don't sleep. Nice try, bar patron, but I don't sleep. I'll take the room at the back of the bar. Me and Yoko are going to go play some bones. And then after that, maybe I'll hit my 
Hit me some uh, strip joints. I mean... <laughs> Let me tell you a drink. You may not have heard of it, but I quite like it. It's called Jack Daniels. <laughs> hey, uh, I went over to that England place once. Let me tell you where the best pint of Guinness is. Dublin. Dublin, Ireland. You ain't had Guinness till you've been to Dublin, and you ain't drank with the dead man until you drank Jack. What do they call that in England? Dominoes. Oh, man, bones. But it just sounds cooler. You know, like dead stuff. My favorite card is the Ace of Spades. Black, like my gear. And I would wear God, it in real my, life. And my goddamn heart. <laughs> hey, what you doing over there, girl? What are you doing somewhere? I'll make you cry, girl. I'll make you cry in a wrestler's court now, you hear? <laughs> Better get your ass out of Walgreens and buy a case of course for the boys. If you respect this goddamn business. Respect this goddamn business, you'll get me a case of beer, and I'll drink it. And goddamn it, you're going to steal it with me all night, boy. But I'm bored, Undertaker. You're boring. Well, how about, how about John takes you over there in those showers? <laughs> and then you get some respect on her name or her business. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't realize that 20 years in this business ain't worth a damn. <laughs> I didn't realize that I thought in this business we learned stuff back here rather than out there in front of those marks. How about I kick your ass? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, after really Suzuki better. Suzuki Miles Miles, miles better. better and more scary. Kota Ibushi's more scary than The Undertaker. And you think of that. Um, Kane's Twitter's more scary than The Undertaker for different reasons. Yes, absolutely. Uh, end of the match after selling his ass off for Darius Martin, Jericho teaches him the lesson. I love that finish. Mm. Not just the Judas effect. Like, no, no, this kid has pissed me off by kind of testing me, so I'm going to make him suffer. Showing off in front of Suzuki as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really like this. And the post-match happens, and it's a highlight of the show for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Renee Paquette interviews a team. Um, she mentions that you went face-to-face with Sting for the first time last week. Jericho, as he does, says, greatest moment in the business. Yeah. Greatest moment you've ever seen in your goddamn lives. It's really cool, but it's Jericho, and he's being Jericho. Of course, he's going to sell it. Um, he says that you're not a Harlequin sting, you're a whore uh, for showing up wherever the highest bidder is. And then he issues the challenge. Sting, Darby, whoever you can face, the Suzuki gods at Forbidden Door. This summons Sting and Darby Allen. Sting puts his arm around Jericho, said they accept the challenge. And then he's trying to treat him like a little boy. Like Sting's so great at being authoritative and avuncular. Yeah. So he does the patronizing thing where he puts his arm around him. Someone did that to me at the Newcastle match once. Oh, quick, quick little detour. 2008 slash nine relegation season. I was still very much, if we just support them, these mercenaries who don't care, yeah. <laughs> and make some noise that might come up for a goal or something. And I was just bemoaning the people that just weren't. Like, they'd seen it all. I was still a bit earnest with my it's, football It's what the idea thing, isn't it? I see it at, like, the Stadium of Light as well. We've got, like, a one, and I, it's well-meaning, but they're like, we'll be getting beat or something, and somebody will stand up full-throated. Sing your hearts out for the lads! And it's like, I get it. I'm old, mate. Yeah. And it's not going to change what's happening on the pitch. Like, you manage tactically this game better. Yeah. Might stand a chance, but singing my hearts out for the lads isn't yeah. going to do it. So, this, so I was just like, oh, why the fuck would anyone making any noise, man? And the lads need it. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy next to us just never did it, so I was kind of subtweeting him, basically. He was, like, much older and much bigger, and he put his arm around us and said, I'll just do it when I want, son. Yeah. And I went, okay. Oh, man. Um, so Jer- Sting puts his arm around Jericho, and Jericho's like, eh, eh, don't do that. 
Jarek staying here. I howled with laughter in my living room at what was about 25 a.m. Because <laughs> Sting says, Ah, everyone, he's, mu- he's muttering swear words under his breath. <laughs> Why is this so funny? Swear I words. died laughing at Stern genuinely disapproving school teacher Sting. It's great, isn't it? It was, um, what was the film with? Jermaine... And Jericho sold it like a seven-year-old. I, it, it was awesome. Uh, Jermaine Clements and the other guy from Flight of the Concords uh, about them being vampires. And then they, they bump into the werewolves and there's like bad language exchanged over like the kind of West Side Story standoff. And it's like, come on, we're, we're werewolves, not swearwolves. And it's like <laughs> this showing disdain for swear words as an adult is like objectively funny. Yeah, it's like, just class, in it? Absolutely class. So Darby says that, look, we've got a partner in mind. Um, just remember, Jericho, you've made a lot of enemies in your past. Um, it's Tetsuya Naito. I think so. There's the affiliation with Los Ingobernables de Japan mm-hmm. from last year. Um, Shingo forming um, Dudes with Attitudes, and it would have been Hiromu as well if it all went a bit differently. Um, and Jericho and Naito had this pretty awesome feud. The first one at Dominion was good, not great. Their match at Wrestle Kingdom. Mm. Like, earnestly, more people should talk about it. Yeah. It was a fantastic brawl. The, uh, and I know I'm going to step on the dick of the preview. This is what happens when we get excited. Uh, Naito and Sammy Guevara are going to do some very stupid, brilliant things with one another. Oh, God, some stuff on the apron's going to happen. Oh, yeah, some very incredibly scary stuff is yeah. going to happen. Uh, this is awesome. Yeah, I'm into this. I, the match was weird. Um, it was hot by the end, but it, I felt like that was the first point at which like the building came down a little bit. I don't know if they were just taking too long to get there or if it was just about, well, we've got all the TV time we need at this point in the show, and it was a little bit indulgent in its layout, maybe. Um, Action Andretti law with Chris Jericho is quite nice at this point, but it's a bit futile. It doesn't have the power of Darius. It was like you had the first match with Darius Martin. Yeah, it doesn't have like the that like bubbling powder keg of like Razor and the Kid. Yeah, even when they were friends, it was like, but we remember like him and Action Andretti just don't have that. So that felt like time wasted. I loved. How could you not? Um, Suzuki taking. Sammy Guevara's place to do the Lesex God's pose while Sammy was kind of selling being injured and Jericho's like, I don't give a toss. Like that that fraying relationship is a nice thing that we don't need to focus on right now, but it's a cool, it's going to be a cool and enjoyable detail on Sunday. They've really nailed how much storyline engagement there should be in this Vindor card compared to last year. It completely overwhelmed last year's show and they've absolutely nailed it this year. Done it quite deftly, I would say. Yeah. Just with a cu- one exception later on. Just a couple of nice details to watch in the match without it ultimately affecting the results on Sunday. Like it's where a, it should be. Like a wayward Judas effect in Sammy's face, for example, can yeah. happen. Like, we're not expecting the big turn, the big showdown, or a big development, but, like, little things on the road to the big developments. I think you're going to get tons of them on Sunday. Yeah. It's nice. Absolutely. Uh, we go backstage. Uh, this is odd. Tony Schiavone's acting becomes clear later on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's Schiavone and RJ City backstage. The names are in a Tumblr. And they're going to do the pairings for the Blind Eliminate eliminate a tournament. All of this was so weird. Mm. I didn't reasonably expect there to be a tournament on Dynamite because they've only ever done seven matches. There was loads of build and promo segments to get through. Maybe the first match or something, or it begins, but they didn't even specify anything. They said, and again, I'm not trying to be a bad faith guy, the Blind Eliminator tournament happens. Yeah. Not it's drawn or mm-hmm. opening ceremonies. They just said there's a Blind Eliminator tournament. So you didn't Weird. even know what to expect. Aye. And what you were shown was 
like hard to discern what you'd even gain from it. Like we didn't know that in 15 minutes time, this Tony Schiavone giggle is going to be paid off with something. So yeah. again, you're left thinking, what was that? It was badly produced as usual. You miss it. They, they've like snipped the sound off the beginning and the end as always. It's but like, that, what's going on with that? Really like disarming as a thing. Look, I wonder if down the line, we might be speaking about this as like one of the great booking masterstrokes of Tony Khan's creative rebirth, because, uh, let's pretend that for now, like MJF and Cole, goes brilliantly and we've just this has been the best can of coexist angle ever and so on I think this brings Kenny Omega and Hangman Page back together as a team oh my god of all things oh my god. no actually I'd, uh, scrap that button because they'd have to fight FTR yep. which would get people excited about oh they're working FTR yep they'd have to work the punk uh, down the line <sighs> and the rematch like that was the match where they fell apart Hangman Page is going to fall into Kenny Omega's arms and he's going to catch him like he didn't the last time oh. before FTR. And of all the, like, you've got years it's not going to happen. Years and years and years of, like, elite melodrama and what brings them back together and the, that really nice ceremonial handing of the barbed wire broom before Anakin in the arena. They found each other. That, like, we were there in person for the moment where they had to fight the world, the two of them, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, you're back, go for the tag belts. But they're both stubborn and they've both got these, like, lingering issues. You've been drawn out of a hat. Tough tits, lads. Like, I, I think that's, like, such a nice subversion of the way they're brought together. And then they win the tournament and they fight FTR and we get excited for the stuff you're allowed to be excited by. Mm. Go backstage to the Elite answer the challenge. Um, and Kenny Omega basically says, well, good for us that a lot of people hate uh, Callus and Takeshita. And Eddie Kingston walks into the shot. With the continuity in mind, he mentions, I don't like the Elite. Try to steal my shoes and set me on and explode me. Yeah. I love how he's put those two things together, <laughs> conflating them of importance. It was a really funny line. Um, but he says, I hate Claudio Castagnoli far more. So for this one-off basis, I'll team with the elite. Um, but I, as a condition of that, I'm naming the final partner. And Kenny just shrugs his shoulders and says, well, we'll accept those terms. Yeah. Okay. This is good. And it got better, I think. Uh, the, the, uh, the amount of history and interpersonal relationships in this 10-man. Like, uh, I tweeted this, the mega fans will forgive me. I want everything on that show outside of the four big ones that were announced early. Well, the ostensibly big ones. I don't mm. know if Perry, uh, Perry Sonata's big. Took like 12 minutes. Every single thing, 12 minutes. Like a New Japan undercard. I want this to go like eight, 15 to 18. It could be one of the best multi-man tags ever. Kind of should be. Based on the like everybody in it, oh god, it's like insane! It's, it's it's certainly, it's definitely a can't fail match. And why? I, I've been trying to think about this all morning. Like, why am I not as hyped for this as I should be? And the only thing I can think of is because of like Anarchy in the Arena has just happened, and this can't it can't be that. It can be very close to it, and it, the brawl can spill, and. Like, the Elite don't miss. I like, in terms of the arrangement of the drama, the Elite don't miss. Like, the Young Bucks will craft something magical and there'll be a Paige Moxley moment, for example. Like, there's loads of these examples, but... For Box example, Ishii. Yeah, like, they will have the... They'll find these little individual moments of brilliance and Kingston and Moxley will have a nearly moment and what and whatnot. Like, and I can remember it was, like, a month ago and I can't do that. So, I, I just think it'll go 15. Won't have that much weight to it. But then they'll surprise you by how, how much layers of like mm. emotion will like yeah into it. Um, I think this will be a masterpiece if it's done rightly. But again, I don't know if I want it to be. I don't know if I just want this to go twelve minutes. Where stand would you put it stand. on the on the card? I think it's too good to open. 
the best version of this match is too good to open. Um, I'm honestly worried about um, Perry Sonata. I would open with that. But we're going to delve into Forbidden Door um, in a preview tomorrow, I think. I like it when you say Perry Sonata because it sounds like you're about to say Perry Saturn. Like posh. Saturn. Perry Saturn. Perry, Sen- uh, Perry Senator. <laughs> Senator. So I uh, will probably do more in depth on that um, tomorrow. So what happens next is great if it happened to be clear, is my overall take. Adam Cole comes out of the ring, huge ovation. Like, he doesn't even have to say who's ready because he knows everyone's ready for story time with Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says he has to give the devil his due. We Great to, line. We need to be done with these gimmicks, by the way. It's good that Will Bond's back tomorrow to do a serious New Japan preview. Yes, absolutely. We're over the top with these silly voices of ours. Absolutely. Um, has to give the devil his due. Great line. He says, look, I didn't win, but neither did MGF, um, who was smart not to accept um, the challenge for five more minutes. Cole calls out MGF. Massive heel reaction. MGF milks it, as he's one to do, and it's great. Um, they shan't shut the up mm-hmm. at MGF. Again, luxuriates in this just for a few moments and just says, no, great, I uh, absolutely will not be doing that. Um, what I love about the following line is I've talked relentlessly about how much I hate John Cena for destroying this. You are meant to put your opponent over in the same breath as you put yourself over. I can't think in recent memory of a better way of approaching that than saying, I'm MGF, no wonder you want another match goal. I brought out the best in you. Mm. So what you're saying is you're taking credit for that match, but you're also telling us, and you're being truthful and credible, by the way, that we saw a great version of Adam Cole, and he was great in that match. What a great line that was. Yeah. Very, like, that's a very bit of sophisticated heel logic, that, isn't it? That, like... Yeah, it's so good. There's nobody better, like, for all that, like, wrestling now just cannot be um, 100% kayfabe. That, that that was decided a long time ago, and, like, probably in the Russo era, truthfully, was when that went, because you have to... Every, every segment's a little bit guilty of the... Everything else up to this point's been fake, but this bit's real. Every, yeah. every single segment, it's there with... It's just in the DNA of wrestling now. MJF is the best by some distance at constantly trying to find the most sophisticated ways of folding the kayfabe in with the reality. Yeah. He knows what people say. He talks about what people say. He'll tell he'll tell us in promos that wrestling fans on Twitter like aren't worth fighting for. He'll admit that he knows that there is good wrestling media out there when he says things, I don't know, in a public setting such as I don't, know. I don't know. One of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth it. So, like, he's doing that thing where he's, like, piercing the bubble of this is not just theater or, in SmackDown's case, cinema. It is, in fact, like, a real thing that's happening in front of you. And it's very hard for wrestlers to do that, that live versus what you're watching on TV. You know, yeah. like, it's your biggest complaint about line. No, it, it? Like, yeah, it sucks. Just watch, just watch the telly that you're in, and then you'll see what the problem is. Uh, he's... Better than everybody, I, I think. Oh, he's uh, awesome. Like, and he finds new ways to do it, and I, I can't help but marvel at that, because Cole is cool again. And On Cole, MGF is so great at maximizing what it is that people like about the people he's in the ring with. It hasn't taken, truthfully, this Sammy Guevara um, babyface turn 
or the embryonic stages of it. But my God, MGF, he did this, he does so many different things at once. Mm. He realized, right, okay, if the plan is to, if Tony's plan is to push Sammy Guevara as a baby face on the back of All Access, whatever, or he just thinks that that's where the money is in Sammy. He has tasked himself with, how do I build my story and allow Sammy a platform on which to tell his next story, for example? Right, me and Sammy are magic together, being dickhead heels, and that might endear Sammy to the fans, and it makes sense within the context of this story. He's just so thoughtful with everything. I actually liked or loved the plotting of Cole Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. <laughs> In retrospect, it was quite, it wasn't believable, really. It was a fun way to keep them apart, to do the match, some good angles in there. Ultimately, it was a failure. The mm. match itself, no one bought the finish, and it just didn't do much for Cole. Jericho's idea, or Tony Khan's idea, there's a collaboration there, was I'm going to have someone beat up his girl, and then the new baby face it's going to kick my ass and punch me unconscious. On the surface, a good idea. Um, a noble way to get beat. I mean, he got his bloody eye shoot buggered up. Yeah. No one took that version of Cole seriously. What MGF's doing, working with Cole, is Cole's so good at playing heel, but he's a really nice guy. But he's putting those things together. And Cole, you still get that heel glint in his eye. In the be- the pro- belt spot summed it up, didn't it? Yeah. You realised when he held that belt and it was like, use it. Yeah, Go on, yeah. use it. That was like the perfect spot that summed that up, I thought. And you like- just get a little bit of this uh, element of Cole's character in this promo as well. MJF says he wants the Panama Playboy. Yeah. He's got him. Yeah. He's finding, he's like looking for him, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really strong. So there's verbal spar, at which point Tony Schiavone steps up and says, <laughs> I have an announcement. You've been drawn in, like, it, before the announcement happens, Cole and MGF in stereo, who both have a very good reason for saying it, say, shut up, Shivani. Like, turbo pop. Uh, I was watching I this live in the middle of the night. What, like, I just never would have seen it coming. Straight away, again, transforms this whole dynamic. It's like, oh, they, they can bond over one thing. Why might that matter in approximately 15 seconds? Yeah. It's a really quite an inspired time to deliver that gag. They give you the chemistry. Yeah. What if they're, like, they're a mint tag team? I got real yeah, Lidina yeah, Debonair yeah. vibes off the pair of them. It's like, I want a bit more of this before the split, please. Yeah. Like, can it just be the device for the next breakup and the rematch? Not well, just yet. They have to... This is what MJF does, right? He has this sort of light tone to his programs before we get to the really gritty mm. emotional thrust. We've seen it with even Punk um, MJF. They were trading Miz insults and yeah. PG Punk before it got really serious. This is the pattern. I think maybe the plan here is for MJF and Adam Cole to show this like uncanny bit of chemistry, this telepathy, maybe that even having a little bit of fun teaming with each other. Cole, at the last, just kicks him in the balls, turns on him, the loser-blind eliminator tournament, and that's what makes MGF snap. He cannot stand that. He's got the Panama, Panama Playboy, and he's his mate, and then he just calls wants a title, kicks him in the balls, does a wanker sign. <laughs> and then that's what really gets MGF hot. That's fantastic. 
it could be yet another um, Triple H reign of terror bit. They could do a bit backstage when they've won like the quarterfinal match or something, where basically MJF is Triple H to Adam Cole's Shawn Michaels, so they do a little DX pose together, or MJF does the uh, the mark pick with Triple H and Adam Cole. Like, yeah. Point, no, my friend. My friend. My friend, Adam Cole, the future tag champ. Like that, that just gets to like think he's, yeah, to think he's winning. I would love that. Yeah. And then MJF in his head is, oh, one of my heroes has abandoned me. All right, well, I'll just give him a concussion. <laughs> yeah, like all, all along I was the devil on your shoulder, out of that kind of thing, and then yeah. it gets very, very serious and very, very dark. And, yeah, yeah. And concuss him and then do the wanker sign. Yeah, over a concussed Adam Cole. Here's what I genuinely don't like about this. Okay, Tony Khan has time and time again annoyed me, annoyed me with this. To use an example, Lance Archer watching on. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. As John Moxley and MGF fight for the AEW world title at All Out 2020, the idea of Lance Archer versus MGF was just so not happening mm-hmm. that you just knew that Mox is going over. He cannot help himself, Tony Khan, sometimes, but show you what's coming next after the thing that hasn't been concluded. Yeah. So after the Tony uh, Tony Schiavone announcement in a really weird amateur video, mm-hmm. Hiroshi Tanahashi pops up on the Tron. Says, come on, let's do it. Forbidden door. 
And then MGF is like, no. Then in a pretty lame thing, Adam Cole goes, car word, car word, to try and get the fans to chant it. And I just think it's really cheap. And then MGF says, I'm not a coward. I'll do it. I think the coward, coward bit was like pretty lame babyface work from Cole. So I was put out by that. My problem is that, right, well, Tanahashi's not winning. Yeah. Because they are telling you that the title program is MGF Cole. Could this have not waited a week? This really fun, entertaining segment in and of itself. Could they have not waited one week to do it and just kept it simple with the Forbidden Door build, which they've excelled at by keeping it simple elsewhere, and just have MGF just run down New Japan in an extended spiel of why he hates it. I know he's going to do it on Rampage, but he could have just done it on Dynamite instead. And then that way, there would have been that 1% of doubt. I don't think anyone reasonably expects MJF to lose the title to Tanahashi, but you have to make it seem 1% doubtful. Otherwise, why have the match? Tana- the, the, the good news is that Tanahashi is so great at his job that he will make the doubt yeah. happen on Sunday. But that was one problem. You just know that what the real plan is and that Sunday is a formality per this segment of Dynamite. Another thing... Why did they have to drop the graphic? Yeah. MJF Tanahashi. Because surely that graphic happens, and we'll get to this later, once something's been signed and agreed to. Otherwise, and this is my pedantic brain I know, otherwise you have false advertising if nothing's been signed. This is especially true in this case because MJF had said, I'm not doing it. Mm. We know why he said he's not doing it. He had to take the bait from Cole to do it. But then the graphic had happened, so you're just saying he's d- doing it. If they'd done something like... MGF just going, I'm noping the challenge. And then Excalibur would have to say on the rundown of, oh, we're still waiting clarification on MGF Tanahashi, who knows? And then this segment happens. It just felt like there was two really bad ideas that dra- dragged this down. Yeah, like, I understand. I'm not stupid. Like, I understand why Cole would be, why they would want Cole to be the reason why MGF takes the match. But it's the, always, it's, too, it, this, it's the, too episodic. Like, we get it. I know that this is not finished Give it a week. This made me pine for the most boring five minutes of the collision main event because that's like the difference in pacing. Like this was so busy. Yeah. So needlessly busy and cluttered and a bunch of, uh, like it needed a frigging like traffic cop for all the various like crosstown cars that were like having to nearly collide into one another for the bits you had to get done. And I just like, that's what's going to take you out of it at an emotional level. It's like, oh yeah, the Tanahashi bit. Like, Oh, let's focus on that now. Oh, no, let's go back to focusing on Adam Cole because he's going to be the reason that MJF finally says, yeah, just come up with a different and equally creative way for MJF to take the match. Yeah. You could do it, and it could not include Adam Cole. As you say, revisit it next week. Like, MJF says, like, I'm definitely not fighting it for Bindon. Not only do I not respect Tanahashi or New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I went 30 minutes last week. I'm still pretty tired. Mm. Like, you know, and then you just, you have MJF kind of, like, be woven into the Tanahashi match in a completely different way, and as you say, then you go back to Adam Cole next week. It's just... Telegraph City. I just... I don't think it makes a particularly satisfying television. I want to just be super enthralled by Cole and MJF's quite unique chemistry. Look, what we just fantasy booked that out of our ass because of the possibility of this gimmick, but then you're not even allowed to get to the end of the segment before it's like, I concentrate on that and that and that instead. Like, I'm not... Your goldfish point, right? I'm not goldfish. I'm not thick. But that doesn't mean I want, like... Loads and loads and loads on ev- in every single segment. Yeah. I'll take the right amount rather than far too much. Indeed. 
Absolutely. Uh, we get the bracket reveal for the Own Heart Foundation tournament, um, the most intriguing of which is um, CM Punk at Forbidden Door is going to be in the same arena as the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And Hangman Hang- Page. And Hangman Page. Apparently, it's a four to six time per year exemption where they kind of have to do business. The both, mm-hmm. both sides have been told we're not doing split pay-per-views. That's yeah. terrible for our model. That's my interpretation of events anyway. Um, and Punk, the Kenta match isn't happening. Kenta, per Sean Ross Sapp, who I believe, because he's super credible to me, he gets so much right, says that Kent has noped it. Mm-hmm. People on... Two people from the Voices of Wrestling side, contributors, have said, I've heard something different. And maybe you can guess that source there. I don't want to say it out loud in case I'm wrong. It's every single time CM Punk's name gets mentioned, there's always two sides to a story. Yeah. And it's like, if there's always two sides to a story, maybe... He's the best. Yeah. I agree. Oh, this is what this is great, man. I want this crack all the time. Yeah, okay, I don't. Um for reasons we'll delve into not today. Okay. Because we can't that otherwise there'd be no point in doing the preview. I don't think CM Punk Satoshi Kojima Kojima has been <laughs> written down. <laughs> has been written down on the back of a beer mat because he's one of the few people available. I think some thought has gone into it. I'll tell you why um at a later date. Uh, did you, did the, you see the potential semi-final bracket though? Oh, yeah. uh, Punk Joe. Yeah. Or even Punk Strong. Punk Joe. And then potentially like he puts over Hobbs in the final. I was looking at the yeah. other. And you, you see the of the bracket. Like the, like, I, hate stuff the going for it. I hate this idea on Twitter, this notion that because like, people have misinterpreted this, CM Punk will work stiff people. Oh God, this is such a dumb take. The idea that he's running away from matches that are against stiff workers. First of all, he's working Kojima. That page thing, man. It's context, you thick bastards. Yeah, no. He didn't trust a guy, and then he misread a stiff shot as, well, I was right not to trust him. Yeah. Read between the lines that aren't even needing reading between. He's explaining in the article. Yeah, but I pointed this out on Twitter. Like, have you seen the Chris Hero matches that put him on the map? My God, <laughs> they are like, I don't know how he does that for that long. Uh, he yeah. wanted to go longer as well, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Like he's killing himself. It feels like it's going on forever, and it's just brutal. Then he's worked the Joe matches. People said, oh, that was then, this is now. Oh, well, now he's working Satoshi Kojima <laughs> at Forbidden Door. Like, Jesus Christ, give me a goddamn break. That said, CM Punk, Roderick Strong. It's like, that might actually destroy his back. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be strong, but... Dak, all I'm saying is Dak gave me a goddamn Z-Pack and sent me out there to work Roddy Strong. What does that tell you about this place? Huh? <laughs> um, so, yeah, the bracket announcement happens, following which we get Sabre Jr., Daniel Garcia, defeating Orange Cassidy and Shibata. Right. I did think at one point this was going too long, and then I think the reason why they went long, for me at least, revealed itself. So it's ZSJ and Katsuyu Shibata, who, for me could do a one-hour Ironman match, not bump, I'd still be enthralled. Mm. It's just so intricate, it's so understated, it's so chess-matchy. Thank you, Excalibur, for illuminating to me why it's even better than I'm watching with your great, great calls and insights into it. So that happens. And then we get the um, Cassidy-Garcia portion. Now, I might be reaching bro, okay? And that might cause me to have to really need to touch grass. But I'm watching this match with Gar- uh, this match within a match, the sequence between Garcia and Cassidy. And Daniel Garcia is going mental 
with his dancing, mm-hmm. like even more so than usual. I read that as a character choice of my destiny that I'm shying away from with the sports entertainer stuff because I'm a very immature young man. Like he's doing this incredible worked, ill-fated excursion young lion storyline. <laughs> yeah. In his heart, he's thinking, am I really it? Or can I just take shortcuts? He's in there with like two of the best technical wrestlers in the world. And I think that's why he goes into overdrive with the with the dancing. His destiny that he's a little bit frightened of is like manifest in that mm. ring and he's just doing more and more dancing. Then what happens deeper in the match, all lovely technical stuff, is that he starts to realize, oh, hang on, maybe I do want this. And he starts to really go hard with Shibata. This is a mistake. For the first time I've seen him, I haven't watched every single Ring of Honor match, I will be brutally honest. But since his return, Shibata, particularly in AEW and the ROH matches I've seen, is that he doesn't really get fired up. Yeah. He's more like if it's detached, wise old guy who just wants to put the punks in their place. And he kind of does it with relative ease, with his in-ring mastery, not with any emotion. Mm. He fired up here and roared, and I'd got a hard on. <laughs> like, he did, and I was like, that's Shibata. That's Shibata. Yeah. It's been the most welcome, if weird, return, this uh-huh. Shibata thing. This is the first time I've seen him roar, get fired up, want this. In the meantime, there's a great sequence. Actually, I'm glad they did work together here because ZSJ and Orange Cassidy for like a minute felt like they didn't know how to work each other, and mm. then they did. So that's good. Chemistry issue has appeared to have been ironed out. But the story here is that Daniel Garcia is doing too much of his bollocks until he realizes that he wants it later. ZSJ is the one who really has um, Orange's number. He kind of bests them in their exchanges. And Shibata finally shows some fire at the end. I think those were individual choices made within the body of the match to put over the idea that all three are primed to take the title off Orange Cassidy. So I think that's why the match was structured in that specific way. And again, as you say, paying off or like staying faithful to AEW story beats within the context of this New Japan mm. ex-AEW build. The, the post-match is horrible. I hate mm. it so much. So what happens is, I don't think WWE have even done this, where the person who gets pinned is within seconds awarded a title shot. What are we doing here? Like that I, I pissed me off to high heaven. Because they've got a hand on the belt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that he didn't just get bested. He caught friendly fire with the idea being of Casti hadn't punched him, he could have won a match here. He didn't win the match, though. He didn't win the match. And before he's even taken the belt off um, ZSJ and Garcia in a tug-of-war, effectively, Mm -hmm. we don't need to tell you the connotations of that in which he should not be ripping off, the graphic flashes up before they all visually intimate that they want the title. How has Tony Khan, A, decided that the loser of a match should have a title shot? B, this is the match we should do. And C, have his IT department or graphic (laughs) department create a match graphic for this to happen within like three seconds. What a stupid timing issue. Just have Excalibur say, oh, you know, all three think they've got a stake. Mm -hmm. And Tony Khan has said in the last 20 minutes... We're going to have the match at Forbidden Door. Stupid timing. I'm assuming it was a production botch. I hated everything in this post-match, but I really liked a lot within the match itself. The On the post-match, was this a leap too far? They have 
done such a fantastic job, and it's mainly down to Orange Cassidy, and to a lesser extent, but not that much of a lesser extent, Rene Paquette. They've done an amazing job of the backstage. Yeah, fine. See you next week. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's so good at that. I'm so tired, Rene. Yeah. Well, looks like I'm in a 20-man battle royal. Like, it, it, he's incredible. Was this a bit of a, a reach too far for that bit? Four men are in the ring, and before Orange Cassidy's, like, delivered the second half of a nod of his head, or the half thumb has left his hand, the graphic is on the screen. Is that like them, all right, you've taken the piss a bit too much with this Orange Cassidy idea, because that's how quick a title match gets made when Orange Cassidy... No, just, I just think it was a stupid, just poor, poor idea. I thought every moment of this from the opening bell to the close of that sequence was way, way weaker than some of its parts, and... The only reason I can give this a pass is because I have absolute faith in the title match. The title match is probably the band that the Beatles should have been of this match. Truthfully, I thought this was flat. I thought the exchanges were... I don't know what it was, right? Because every... You know, if this tag match had never happened and they'd done a Danielson Okada graphic drop and it was like, look at this in Fatal 4-Way. Yeah. You'd be like, hiked out the ace. You'd book the Daniel Garcia Orange Cassidy dancing spot. You, I did that on Twitter before the singles match just to put that out there. Like every individual bit of interplay that you could think of and concoct between these four men you would book and they would all take place within the context of yet another totally gripping Orange Cassidy title defence where the belt is genuinely at risk. So much of that I love. This match felt like the opposite of an advert for it. I, I was like, I don't want to call it a crushing disappointment because it was perfectly well worked with a couple of nice moments. Yeah. But I was badly, badly let down by this. And yet, I have complete faith in the match on Sunday. Weird. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. This tag match was probably the thing, I can't, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, to make space on this dynamite, space that was clearly badly needed in a number of ways. In hindsight, this would be the match I would have lifted off. Yeah. If this match existed as a vehicle to build a four-way, don't build a four-way, just show me the match. Like, show me the graphic, it's forbidden door, I don't need the tag match to get us there. We thought this was going to be split into two singles. Yes. And the fact that it's now a four-way makes me feel like this entire tag match was redundant. Because now you've blown through some of the spots. I can't get over Shibata losing and then, oh, the title. All right, you can have it. He's got a title as well, so he's a losing champion. Yeah. Orange Cassidy's done the dance. That's gone from the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this match probably shouldn't have happened if that Uh, was the goal. They can have great ideas, however. It's it's these four. Like, the match would be fantastic, but that's... A WWE pay-per-view take, isn't it? Oh, the match would be great. I'm going to toss about the story. And we've seen... I did think there were some good ideas within the body of the match, but that post-match pissed me off the high friggin' heaven. They're just not people that have tugs of wars over titles. None of them. No. And it's not the characters that would do that. It's very North American. Mm. In Mexico, it's a religion. In England, it's a tradition. In Japan, it's a sport. In America, it's a joke. It's the best meme of all time, though. In England, it's a show, actually, son. <laughs> you may be wise to uh, try and get yourself some acting classes. Get yourself an education, by which I mean at the University of Life. The University of Hard Knocks, son. Me and Fifth Finley on Uncensored 96. They bloody Hard Knocks. Punters <laughs> didn't really react to them, so they were ultimately very pointless and painful, but, you know, still him. <laughs> I got told. They still believed it. They were bored. I think they believed they didn't really react one way or the other actually so maybe that was a, maybe that were a waste of time I got told by my staff supervisor Eric Bischoff my wind doctor Harvey Schiller I don't remember anymore I got told it's, it's Paul now by my, uh, by my team leader and I was to go out there and I was to give Bill Goldberg a bloody good fight and then suddenly you've got people logging onto their onto their internets 
And they're telling me that apparently I was trying to shoot on him. <laughs> I'll show you some shoot fights. I'll take you to the fight pits of Blackpool and Wigan and Goldbourne. That's where shooting goes. That's where shooting goes. Oh, yeah, I'll stretch it. I'll stretch it if you like. I'll tell you why. I was sick of my words getting misrepresented you know, by these dead sheets on social media. <laughs> Goldberg thinks he's got problems with me. I'd like to see the cauliflower ears he get off Jackie Palo. Backstage, Alex Marvez uh, walks up to Will Ospreay. <laughs> Investigative journalist. Alex Marvez is on a mission to do something. Why did he say he's got a scoop? I don't know. I think I got a scoop. He's just talking to Will Ospreay. Hello, Will. I'm investigating the match this weekend. You can get a scoop out of Will Ospreay because if you open the top of his head, there'd be nothing in there, love. <laughs> the Shibata process of Will Ospreay. Just, <laughs> just get like an ice cream scoop. Huh? Going on, there's, there's a note there. There's nothing in there, love. Anyway. Osprey is doing his Canada thing, which you know what, dream match, yes, amazing, like a sequel to the match of the year. All of that's great. I don't like this. Hi, Canada. Flap your heads and beat your eyes. <laughs> I don't think this is eating craft dinner. I think this is well below the standards of the storyline that Omega and Osprey have told so far. Is it too cute because of all the people that wants to help him out? It's callous. That like there's a bit of that, and like, there's Callis is going like it's very much tell don't show of oh, Kenny's the baby face in this one. Yeah, like they're gonna do it anyway. He's in Canada. I ah, like Canada. He doesn't need like boomy. Like what, does he? Here's the thing. Then if people are so bloody insistent that we're getting the third one all in, right? Fine. Is it? Is this all too set up? Right? Because it's an AW show. Here's why I'm protesting it. I want to see Kenny Omega from All Elite Wrestling. Versus somebody else from All Elite Wrestling, yeah. ideally, right? But Osprey in England is theoretically ugh, like the Davy Boy Smith character. Does he fall in love with Canada after this show? After like Don Callis like lines up a bunch of Mounties for him or something like that? Canada, uh, Callis hates Canada as well, but he becomes Canada's Will Osprey heading into All In, and he just disavows London. I don't like London anymore. Big Ben, I prefer to hang out with a big moose that I met in Calgary, Alberta. Heard of it? Sketch, sketch, that's how he would pronounce it. Uh, uh, sketch. I don't like the London Dungeons. Why is it on? Saskatoon. I don't like the London Dungeons. I like Stu Hart's one, actually. Bonjour. Poutine. Heard of it? You mugs call it cheesy chips. Cheeky poutine. <laughs> A cheeky Tim Hortons. Anyway. <laughs> if you look at the story... I think it's a real great sports-oriented story. Have you ever heard? Are you into like? Are you a casual basketball guy? Uh, I was. Well, you saw the one time I was. Jesus oh, it's Vegas, the Miami yeah. Heat, and the Celtics. History was made that night. I'm very much a very casual basketball fan. Like, if someone tweets something about LeBron James, I'll read it. Yeah, and I quite like basketball, but it's just too much. I've got too much on. Have you ever heard Michael Jordan talk about LeBron James? Uh... Only ever like my only Jordan spice is from the Netflix doc. So, so uh, whenever Jordan talks about LeBron James, and we know Kenny Omega's a big basketball guy, mm-hmm. it's so transparent. He will like because you know the big debate is who's the best? Is yeah, it, who's the goat? Is it LeBron or is it Jordan? Jordan gets asked this question, and he always says something that's on the surface an incredible compliment, but if you the subtext is barely subtext. You got LeBron's certainly one of the best players of his generation. 
He's like, certainly one of the best players in the world right now. It's like, you, nah, you know what you're doing. You know what you're yeah. doing. He's nowhere near as good as me. But I'm yeah. not saying that. You're put words in my mouth. I, Omega was doing this for a year with Osprey. Oh, yeah, it's great what he does with his easy fives that he can get. Yeah. And so much range. You have to do what I've done, realistically. You have to do comedy, tags. You have to crack America. And the Beatles, he's a wasted sort of thing. <laughs> I liked how sports-oriented athletes are really wired to be complete knobs. Yeah. And they're just not, just kind of sanction the idea that anyone's on their level. If they don't win, they've wasted their life. Yeah, exactly. That's psychology. I love the, the psychology of the storyline was I cannot buy into the fact that I've got a successor because that just destroys every wall I've put in front of me. To do that to, oh, hey, Canada. And I think it's beneath what they've told. Anyway. Um, I've got to ask. Omega as Jordan. Osprey as LeBron. Who's uh, Scotty Pippen in this particular scenario? Hmm. In the old wrestling world, are we thinking The Miz? No, I never think about The Miz, <laughs> I, ever, until a Tuesday morning when I have to review his work. <laughs> Scotty Pippen is the someone who's absolutely phenomenal on their own terms, but overshadowed because they were constantly around a genius. Did he think he was... A top guy, Scott. Or did he understand that no, he was he, in the he shadow? Knew he was a top guy, and as he saw in the um, the last dance, yeah. he signed what wasn't a top guy deal, and then realized, oh no, I've completely bollocks this up, and just I didn't recognize my own value. Is it Jericho? I maybe we, we were kind of us balls were kind of the last guys to uh, yeah. have a dynasty in Chicago, like beating Rock and Austin in the same night. I'm the same in a way. Yeah, like ah. Oh. You know how Jericho goes? That was all me. No one knew who Kenny Omega was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, are, you, are you sure, Jericho? Like, really, are you sure? Like, you make kind of a point. Like, Pippin. Because apparently Jordan's son is dating his ex-wife or ex-missus. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's like, uh, 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 he, Jordan needed his team more than he lets on. Mm-hmm. Fine, you're doing the athlete thing, which Omega did with Osprey. Did get back to the original point. And he says, I was terrible before I signed. For the mm. Bulls. And it's like, he wasn't. He was like mint. Yeah. There just wasn't the team in place. He was a great individual player. But that's, yeah, so it is Jericho. Uh-huh. These guys didn't know nothing before I showed up. Which is equally fitting because he's also Canadian and part of the Winnipeg yeah. Mafia and all that, yeah. Absolutely. So basically, Don Callis turns up and says, look, I'm going to give you military-grade security because the people of Canada hate you this much. I don't believe it. I believed everything Omega said because it was the defensive athlete mentality. And even though the match will be great, I don't necessarily think the story's as strong it's, as it was before they... Like that press conference at Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, my God. Like Osprey's fraying mental health was like, whoa. I yeah. think the story's taken a worse turn. Excalibur like labelled Danielson and Okada as the main event at the end of Dynamite, and it felt like that out of the two singles matches. And not just because like the US title's kind of ir- irrelevant, but it felt like the bigger of the two singles. like The dream singles matches, that one felt like the big one, didn't it? Uh, is Khaled's going to have a line of Mounties? for Osprey's entrance. Is that what we're doing here? Like Canadian Mounted Police on horses in the building. Is that the security? They've learned the last about having live animals in the building. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Military good. They have. We'll delve probably uh, more into MJF it. did call it a dog and pony show, and we've had a dog on the stage, so now it's time for the ponies. Chris Statlander defeated Ty Valkyrie, retaining in the process the TBS title, and I thought this was really good. Yeah. They set the competitive tone, he didn't rush through a damn thing. He didn't um, 
get lost at any point, or there was nothing sludgy about it, which I think is a valid criticism sometime of Ty Valkyrie's work. She's not the most dynamic athlete wrestler. They knew what the, they knew the best match possible they could have, and they worked it. They escalated the big moves to the point where they really felt like massive blasts by the end. Um, like Ty Valkyrie, I thought, had killed Statlander at one point. Mm-hmm. There was one flaw I had in this otherwise really tight, really meaty, like really worthy match where every big bomb, I was like, wow, the execution got me and you've timed it perfectly. That shooting star press on the apron to the floor, retire it. She yeah. never lands it. It cannot be good for her knees. And it just, I never believe it at any point because she's just falling under the, like the gust of wind. It's, I understand why you do stuff like that, but when the spots specifically are there to be missed, that, Makes it feel fake. Like it was she meant to hit? But like but for something as spectacular as that, I find it to break the immersion. Oh no, that's know. that's the worst she case doesn't, scenario. She doesn't connect. Yeah. She does not connect. The fact that that stood out though, I think is a good yeah. um take for how otherwise snug and physical the match was. And in the end, um Statlander wins with the what you call Wednesday night fever? Aye. Something like that. It's a weird one, there. I like Statlanders. Um, but I thought this match was really good. Yeah, I was a big fan of this. And I've come to like, come to really appreciate already um, Statlanders' title reign as being this like workmanlike TBS title. Thing is, right, it's this workmanlike title reign already. She's coming out, she's defending the title, she's giving like, I would have liked more of a story with Ty Valkyrie other than just the implication of her angrily staring at him on it. Promo segment, in addition to an outcast match. I know. I know. Yeah, man. I know. So, sorry, everybody. But I would, I would have liked that, even though we could infer what the, the deal was. Um, but I was concerned about how successful it could be, because Jade Cargill, I know that she was reaching that point where she wasn't defending the title that often, but she had this massive streak. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was coming off a lazy champion. And I just think the way that she's approached her matches has differentiated the two reigns so far. Um and she doesn't get a lot of promo time, and an angle feels a long way away. So this is, I think, the best case scenario for a Chris Statlander match. She's just super hard hitting. I believe her. Yeah, like I love that's the, the thing. The belief you have it, the audience has it. Yeah, I love the character. Like they have, like at the moment for me, in Tony Storm as the world and Chris Statlander as the TBS, they've got like if this was Survivor Series and it was the one time a year, great. Yeah, so that's an awesome match between those two. Um, so the belts are in good hands, which makes the division feel like it's in good hands, even if it's still, I was going to say, the secondary concern, tertiary. You know, like, it's still only that. Tyre Valkyrie as well. Um, you know, like, the, that run she had an impact with a belt for ages, for me, personally, didn't yield so many great matches that impact was pacing in that, like, bubble where, like, oh, you've got to go and check out Impact. She yeah. was, that was like, it was still one or two in such a long reign, you think that's not enough. And then like WWE are now being made to look fools of yet again in terms of how badly Frankie Monet was botched because those matches stunk as well. She's so good at the spaces between moves. Yeah. Like I'm seeing real potential. Like, in attitude and like really like sort of conveying that she wants to take the piss out of and hurt her opponent. I buy it and I just wonder now what's left for this. I hope this isn't the end. Um, there is, I won't say any more than this. There is a rampage spoiler that makes me think it isn't, but not in the direction you might first think. But uh, I, I hope she sticks around. I think she's a, been a real addition to this division. Main event time. Eddie Kingston comes out of the ring, um, basically says, look, don't rag on me because of my physique. Just had surgery, and I recovered by eating a lot of ice cream. That existed for something else, didn't it? 
continuity error. He came out and said, oh, the T-shirt is yeah, because yeah, of this. Yeah. It's like he wasn't wearing the T-shirt it's backstage. The last and, week, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he says, a lot of things going on that I don't agree with. Um, someone he thought was his boy, um, but isn't apparently anymore. And look, I don't like the Young Bucks, um, but I hate casting the only more. Um, Moxley comes out as a face-to-face with Kingston. Um, so in the process, he just casually tosses aside that um, it's Ishii once he can't stand talking with Moxley or once Moxley refuses to talk to him. It's a bit messy, this, um, I thought. Mm. Um, but I loved the idea of Mox coming out and then freezing. Like, he can't talk to this guy. One, he knows he's looking into someone pure and good, which he's, which Moxley himself is not anymore. And that's the tacit acknowledgement of, oh, I'm down the wrong path here. Yeah. Oh, no, what have I done sort of thing, which I love because you want to believe that. You want him to see him be a heel for a while because it's mm. boring if he's a face. But you do want to believe that deep down at his core, he's still John Moxley. Yeah. I love how as well, this is a man who not only can cut a promo, not only likes to talk, not too much, but to get his point across. And he'll always, he's so honest and has such conviction that when he says he's going to do something, he does it. He cannot even talk to Kingston. I loved that bit of subtext here. He cannot talk to this guy. What was the one bit? Because I think this was my favorite bit of the whole, because I was with you, it was a little bit clunky and messy, this, because I think it was too many, again, too busy, too many things to get to. Like, I know there's no script. Collision better. The, the bullet points, like, were just, like, rifling through Kingston's brain, like a Rolodex, that it's almost like he trips up, and he never does, because he feels real. But these two, they, like, Moxley said almost nothing. But then, like, off mic, half on half off mic, I'm trying to remember the word. That I, King, I wish the phrase, but I forgot to write it down. Was it like, he says something like, oh, every time, Eddie, and he's about to patronise me like CM Punk did that time. Uh, yeah. And Kingston starts, every time I watch, John, every time I watch, John, and you know you can't do that to Kingston. Yeah. Kingston knows there's a loose cannon, but you can't tell him that. Yeah. He has to just accept that about himself. And Moxley's stopping just short and like, every time with this, Eddie, why do you, like, there's a gaslighting element that's, you're going to make me have to fight you again, you know, yeah. like, and Kingston blows up at him for that. And that immediately, as is always the case with Kingston, makes him the instigator, like Moxley now, I'm going to have to drill you with a paradigm shift, but this is on you, mate. And, it, and that's when, like, I think that's when the frustration... Anyway, it's Ishii. Like, piss me off, John. Yeah. Like, I love that, like, that dynamic between the two of them because Moxley's done it. He's the made man. He's the millionaire. But he doesn't want to betray his friendship with Kingston, but he's about to. And that's when you get a little other recurrence of the difficulty in booking something like Forbidden Door. You could just go off canon for a month. Yeah. But they obviously... There is an element where they do... For me insult the intelligence of the AEW audience by saying, there's still an AEW storyline, guys. And uh, I saw it last week. Just park it for a week. The worst, it's not been as egregious as Blood and Guts after Verdandor last year. That was all over the entire card, pretty much. Um, But this is just another recurrence of, you like, trying to do too many things at once. So much so that by building this beat of a story between um, Eddie and Mox, you get Kingston at the end of his tether, not really wanting to hit Mox, but oh, I have to get myself out of the situation before I do. Oh, it's Ishii. Then Ishii gets his ass kicked. Mm. And it's like, ah, uh, well, you haven't really built up Ishii as this great equalizer that, oh God, I didn't think the elite were going to get him. Yeah. That that, was... That's what should have been emphasized, but wasn't. Anyway, so Ishii comes out, um, this summons the BCC, but not Moxley who doesn't join in. Um, Claudio, Yuta, and uh, 
Danielson start to kick their heads in. Is she in uh, Kingston, that is. Then Danielson gets the mic, says, come on, you coward, you're a coward. Then a card, uh, pin drop, and then the pop. Wait there. Uh, wait there one second. The pop is described as such. Oh, my God. Big pop. He's silver. Yeah. Everyone knows who he is. <laughs> so he comes out, runs out, has the face off with Danielson. It's everyone's going crazy for this in the building. Utah um attacks a card from behind. Um but as Danielson's gonna hit the um psycho knee, a card ducks, Danielson hits Utah. Love that. Utah deserves it, he's a little bastard. The <laughs> character yeah. anyway. Um that um, makes Akada prepare for the Rainmaker, to which um, Danielson's prone, but he just ducks, bails quickly. He's actually the coward. He's playing the heel. Um, just a little tease of the timing I and know. the drama and how big this is and how anticipated this is. That's all I needed. It was just a little taste. Yeah. Taste of the high life. This was for a company that were often critical of its excess, especially on Dynamite, on an episode where there was loads of examples of it. This was measured to perfection. Brian Danielson would have been nowhere near ready to absorb a rainmaker. It wouldn't have been believable. And yet, the glimpse of for me it was um, Okada like just holding like the extension of the arm was enough. Yeah, like, if you could capture the little still image, it's like, do you remember that time when he rainmaker Danielson? He didn't actually even hit it. Yeah, just now got that burned into your brain. You're going to get the version of it when they're in the gear on Sunday. Oh, I was just vibrating at this. Like this was. Every bit, the um, go-home angle, well, the only angle that this needed when you have an actual dream match. Forbidden Door exists for Brian Danielson versus Okada. Pro wrestling exists for Brian yeah. Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada. Um, Your fandom exists for Danielson versus Okada. Yeah, certainly if you listen to this podcast, um, regardless of like what other people may want or not want from their pro wrestling. And I just... Uh, Big and as bold as an idea as that is, it's often so big and bold that wrestling really struggles with how to present it. I got an example, and I don't want this to be a foreboding one, but because I think this match is going to kick ass, it's going to have like a line of asses backstage to, to kick after it's finished for the rematches that the asses it'll kick. They're building this effectively like, um, remember when we were kids, Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect. Now that missed. So I'm not trying to jinx it. Yeah. Missed badly, really badly. But it was very exciting to be told... These two are better than those two ever were. Yeah. and it, But it was very exciting as a kid to be told, the best. The best is going to fight the best. Oh, my God. I'm with like, you. My anxiety kills me. It, this won't miss. But it's rare that we happen upon two wrestlers where you can so believably sell it on. It's the best thing you've got. Like, this is, like, for you, Sige, filet mignon. Yes. For me, a nice tinned hot dog. It's just the best of all that there is. And I think that's surprising. Like, I think wrestling fans underestimate how hard that is to sell because wrestling sells you that the best thing is this week. And then when this week wraps, it's like, tune in for next week when it's the best. When it's the best again? Yeah. How yeah, do you do it? Actually better? It's That's quite a This week better? Yeah. And then sometimes the wrestlers come face to face and it's like, ah, I don't think this is the best. This is the thing that you told me that last week yeah, was the best. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to nail it. And I thought this, they just nailed it to absolute perfection. Absolutely. You were showing the best. You were delivered a split second of the best. And on Sunday, you're going to pay for the best. It was the absolute best. <laughs> uh, was it the best for you? 
are we being harsh on a dynamite that was really well received? I have seen some of the proper snobs that I follow for my sins. <laughs> I don't know why on Twitter say, oh, it was great. I was like, it's flawed in some places, but very good. Very, very, very good. Peaked very highly. Do they, is it's it dynamite about, for me, if anything. Is it about the snobs' tastes? New Japan infused dynamite, CM Punk's back. Do you think like... No, potentially. Do you think if like the elite were in the building, like you might have joined those snobs? Maybe. In Snobs Towers and been like, this is, yeah, this was a go at Dynamite like that. I say I'm correct. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let us know what you thought of it. Um, under the Twitter link to this podcast, which Michael Hamflet will post today, um, at WhatCultureWWE on Twitter. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Um, coming up over the weekend, we will have Forbidden Door preview content, the SmackDown preview. Um, if you missed it, our collision review, I think me and Hamlet were both really proud of that. Yeah. And we went long as well. So if you've got a long commute or you just want to get <laughs> away from the family or whatever, um, listen to it. And um, we were really proud of that one. And um, thank you very much again for spending part of your day with us. And um, don't forget to um, subscribe to Our Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.